As I mentioned last night, we had an incredible time with Zion's sake and the Seder dinner and uh, just the meaning. Rabbi does such a tremendous job explaining from the old covenant to the new. Jesus in that night before he was betrayed, crucified, he transitioned from the old covenant, one of the animal being the lamb that was God would use as a sacrifice to explaining to his disciples and to us. He became that lamb. He became that lamb. Today, I want to pick up on what uh, he shared then and explain what does Passover mean to us as New Testament or New Covenant believers. Every year in the spring, people of faith, we find ourselves celebrating the Feast of Passover or what's come to be Resurrection Sunday for us in sync with Passover. The celebration, it is to remind us of the deliverance of the Jewish people from their bondage in Egypt. And then it has a spiritual parallel that we now are delivered from our bondage of sin, of darkness, of our issues or our challenges or our struggles in life, whatever you want to call it, that Jesus, God so loved us, he sent Jesus or Yeshua, the Jewish name for him, to deliver you and I. And we are free today. We are free today because of what... The price that Jesus paid. And we see that many Christians, we do celebrate Passover for the same reasons that the Jewish folk celebrate Passover and Pesach is the actual Hebrew name for it. The story, of course, comes from Exodus chapter 12, after or the time just before that they were delivered from Egypt. Uh, the Lord commanded them. In that chapter, he laid out his calendar, as I mentioned just a few moments ago. God's got a calendar based on the lunar calendar where the Gregorian is based on the sun and the rotation of the sun and us around the sun, actually. And it, but in the beginning of Exodus 12, God lays out his calendar events. This is the new year, religiously speaking, for his people. And he commanded it on this 10th day of the first month that they would take a one-year-old male lamb that is free of disease or any kind of blemish. It had to be a perfect specimen of an animal and to separate it from all the others and observe it or look or examine it for four, for four days until the 14th day of the month. On that 14th day, the command was they were to take this lamb that proved to be perfect without blemish and then evening take it, slay it, Apply its blood to the top and to the side posts of their houses. And as you see that and can picture that, it even pictures a cross. So even back then, God was foretelling the gospel message of what his son would do, his lamb would do, dying upon the cross for our sins. They were to take that lamb, they were to roast it, they were to eat it with the unleavened bread, which we're going to experience in a few moments, and the bitter herbs, the bitter herbs to remind them of the bitterness of sin or the bitterness of bondage in their life. How many of you remember those were some dark days before Jesus found you? Anybody remember those days? I remember those days. They were some dark days of questioning and wondering what is life really about? Why am I here and why am I going through the things that I'm going through? The very moment that Christ came into my heart by his goodness and grace, uh, he did that work. The very moment I knew what I was alive for, I knew it was to glorify him and that it finally made sense. So on this 14th day, they were commanded to take that lamb and apply its blood, eat the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs. They were further to com commanded to be clothed in such a way that they were going to hurriedly leave for a journey. They were, the Egyptians were so ready for them to leave after the nine plagues had happened and the tenth one came that killed the firstborn of, um, on, out of every household, including Pharaoh's household. They were so eager for Israel to leave, they gave them everything they asked for, the gold, the silver, the jewels, everything, the clothing, and Israel just literally ransacked Egypt. And God used that later on in the construction of the tabernacle and uh, blessed his people also. They were, so they were commanded to eat that lamb in such a way clothed that they would take a journey very quickly. God then explained that when he did this, he would pass through. When the blood was spread upon the door lentils, God would send a death angel. He would pass through Egypt that night and strike all the firstborn with death, both man and beast, and smite their Egyptian gods in judgment. Pharaoh would finally know. The Egyptians were already convinced. Pharaoh would finally know the gods that he served were no match for the God of the universe. Amen. 
So that blood of the lamb that the Israelites applied on their doors would protect all that lived within that house. He continued by telling them that they would also eat the unleavened bread for another week. And that is what we call the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's what we are in until next Friday evening passes over. If you choose to celebrate that, that just means you eat things without the leaven in it, which actually medically you're better off anyway. Uh, It may taste like cardboard, but you're better off healthy-wise. So we see from that account that these events, they were known as Passover and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread. These two feasts become the first in the feast cycle that God would establish with his people of the Israelites and also of Christians that follow God's calendar. However, those feasts pointed to something greater to come in the future, and that's what I want to get into today. I wanted to give you a little background right there and uh, go into uh, what it means for us today as New Covenant Christians The Bible teaches us, Jesus teaches us, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, teaches us that since his death on the cross, he has fulfilled all of the Mosaic law with his death on the cross. But yet those Old Testament feasts point to New Testament events for us to honor and remember and to take note of in our life today. In the case of the Passover, John the baptizer or the immerser, when he cried out in the wilderness, his message was when he saw Yeshua come to him on that day, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, John 1.1, or John actually verse 29. And then in 1 Peter it says this, Peter the disciple who came to know Christ and followed him, Peter writes later in his years, he says, Knowing that you were redeemed. Redeemed, that word means you were bought back. You were purchased from the power of sin into God's kingdom. You were redeemed with, not with, with corruptible things like silver and gold. This world can't redeem you. But from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. But you were redeemed. You were bought back with the precious, and I might add, the powerful blood of Christ. And he goes on to say, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Peter draws that parallel for us, the Lamb of God from the Old Testament, the Lamb of God that John declares and proclaims, and Peter said, he is a lamb without blemish and without spot. He goes on to say he was foreordained, he was chosen. It was known by God before time ever began on earth that God would send his son because God so loved the world, he would have to send his son in order to give his life as a ransom to redeem us from the power of sin. Sin is not something you do. Sin is the condition you are born in. And I realize there's people here this morning that you may not understand the Christian faith. You may not understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. For you, you've seen or you've seen people and what you've seen, it's like a bunch of rules and regulations and religious traditions you follow. Listen, you were born in sin. It wasn't something your mother or father did. It's something that our first mother and father, Adam and Eve, did. We inherited it. It became part of our DNA. There's no way out of it. It doesn't matter how good you try to be. It doesn't matter how religious you try to be. It doesn't matter what religion you follow. You cannot purify yourself enough that you would be qualified to go to heaven and spend eternity with God in heaven. It takes the blood of the Lamb of the Lord Jesus Christ to wash you from your sins. He doesn't cover over your sins. He doesn't put a Band-Aid on your life. He washes you. He makes you a new man, a new woman, a new creation in Christ Jesus. That is what's so wonderful about it. I went to church that night, a lost young person, a sinner, bound My choice was I was in drugs, I was in rock and roll, I was deceived, I was living a very moral life. That was my choice. But those weren't the things that would have sent me to hell. My being born a sinner is what qualified me not to go to heaven. But that night, in just a moment of just inviting Christ into my heart, completely, totally did a transformation in me, changed my heart, I accepted what the blood of Jesus was shed to do. 
cleanse me, not put a Band-Aid over, not, not just try to make me do better for the next few months or something or a few years, but it, he, his blood has the power. I, I'm telling you today, the blood of Jesus has the power to absolutely transform your life, make life new for you, your guilt, your shame, all the things you've done in the past cannot just be brushed or swept under the carpet, but absolutely eradicated in the mind of God. Hallelujah. When I remind, for me personally, when I remind God of what I used to be, God says, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not, that's not who I know you as now. I know you as my child. I know you as my son. I know you as one who accepted what my son Jesus did for you when he died on the cross. I'm free. Am I perfect? No, but I am free. Do I, do I live without mistake? No, but I am cleansed. That when I fail, when I fall, when I sin, I run to him and I say, Lord, that blood you first applied to me that February 21st, 1971, Lord, I, I declare that blood again. Lord, to cleanse me now again today. But I'm changed. I don't want to do the things that I used to do. I don't want to live the way I used to live. You can be changed. It's not rules and it's religion. And I just feel, I don't know, that wasn't in my notes today. I just felt like just saying that today because there may be some of you here that you're here and you really don't understand what being a believer, a Christian is. You think it's rules and regulations. No, it's not. It is a wonderful relationship with a risen, resurrected Lord. I don't know about you. I always believed in God. I always believed that there was a Jesus. I believe that he was a historical figure, but I never knew you could know him. That night, when I invited him to come in my life, I knew him in a relationship. And it's been true for 40 plus years now. I thank God. If I were to drop dead before you this morning, I know that would upset a lot of people, but I'd be home with him forever, never, never, never. I'm going. I'm out of here. I don't want to stay in this world. I mean, I want to fulfill what he's given me to do in life, but I sure don't want to hang around here beyond my time, because to be with him is joy and peace forevermore. Not afraid of death, but even what's greater, I'm not afraid of living. I used to be afraid of living, and you don't have to be afraid of living, and no matter what life circumstances bring to you, no matter what circumstances you're in right now, the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to give you the power and the ability to live victoriously through it. It doesn't mean you're not going to live without problems or challenges. I do. You're going to. Every human being will. But it means you're not alone. He is with you, as his promise says, I'll never leave, fail you, or forsake you, but I'll go with you all the way to the end, to the end of the age and to the end of whatever you're in, to bring you into a better, uh, uh, just like he did for Israel, bring, them, bring you out of bondage, bring you out of darkness, bring you into the life of the love of his dear son. Wow. Man, I'm going to stick with just this. This is better than my notes. Hallelujah. I prayed myself happy today. You know you can do that? You can get up challenged and you can get up feeling bad and you can get up stuff's happening and bad things are happening and just stuff that irritates you are happening. You can pray yourself happy. I'm preaching myself happy this morning. Hallelujah. So we're not redeemed with corruptible things, silver and gold that won't do it. It's that powerful blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and who is manifest, he goes on to say, foreordained before the foundation of the world. That is what is so amazing. God had you, us, sitting here today in 2019. The Father God had us in his mind way back before this world ever began as we know it. Amazing. He had you by your name, by your characteristics, by your personality. He had you in mind. He destined for you to be alive at this specific specific time because he loves you and he's got a reason and a purpose and he knows you and he's got a destiny for you to fulfill you just need to get connected with him if you're not or you need to tighten up that connection with him and, and surrender and let him just fulfill his destiny that he has for you amen that Passover lamb of the Old Testament it pointed towards Jesus who was crucified on the cross and shed his blood to cleanse us from our sin Protect us by his death. Romans 6, 23 tells us the wages of the payment of living a life of sin, going on and living without Christ, the wages or the payment of that, it's death. You're going to die. Yeah, we all know we're going to die physically, but the worst death is the spiritual death of not knowing him and being with him for eternity. That's the worst death that Jesus warns us in the Bible. The wages of sin is death. But here, Jesus never leaves us in the negative. God the Father never leaves us in the negative. But he said, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus or Yeshua the Lord. 
And he goes on and says, God so loved us, or God loved us so much, he gave his only begotten son, John 3, 16. Jesus, to be born as a, as a baby, to grow to be a man, uh, to live, to, to go through everything we ever will go through as a human, and yet to live a perfect life without ever sinning because he never sinned. He didn't have to pay the wages of sin, which is death, but yet he allowed himself to be wrongfully accused, acquitted, or crucified to pay for our wages of sin and rise from the dead three days later proving that what he said was true. The Bible says whoever will believe in him, meaning that whatever Jesus did on the cross for your behalf. And listen, don't let the devil deceive you. Say, well, Jesus died for good people. No, Jesus said, I didn't come to die for the good. I came to die for the unrighteous. I came to die for the sinner. I came to die for the one that was missing it. That's us. That's us. He came to give his life as a ransom for those that did not know him. Passover pointed towards Jesus as the Lamb of God, whose death and shed blood would protect those who trust him as the Savior uh, from death. The death of Jesus on that day of Passover, it not only literally fulfilled the feast of Passover, but it also demonstrates to us that God is faithful in carrying out his prophetic plans. He prophesied it in the Old Testament that one day a lamb would come. He gave the picture to Israel, take this lamb on the, the 10th day of every month and hold it for 14 days or in until the 14th day for four days and examine it but then offer it. It was a picture of the Lamb of God that was to come. What happened during that Passover week that led up to Jesus' death and resurrection? Well, last Sunday, we know what's called Palm Sunday. That's when Jesus came into Jerusalem. He'd gone into Jerusalem many other times before. But on Palm Sunday, what we know as Palm Sunday, he entered into Jerusalem that final week of his life knowing that he was headed to the cross, knowing that he was going to have to give his life as a ransom for our sins, knowing that he was going to die the most painful death that there was to die, the Roman death of crucifixion, and knowing that he wasn't doing it because of something that he did wrong, but knowing that he was going to do it to redeem all of us, all of mankind, all of humankind. So last Sunday being Palm Sunday, he entered Jerusalem as a lamb to be inspected for four days. This last week of Jesus' earthly ministry, it did begin very drastically from the way that it ended. They, they said, hailed him as king. They, they threw the coats, the, the mantles, their cloaks before him, threw the palm branches in the road before him, waved the palm branches and said, hail, blessed is he, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord God Almighty. But the end of the week that we're at now, it ended by them screaming and crying. The very people that shouted, Hosanna, save us, were crying, crucify him. It began with Jesus telling his disciples, go and find that donkey, that colt of that donkey, and bring it to me. And I ride in, and they praised him. But then these very same people were heard shouting, and, and some of them were, were telling the people, don't praise him like this. And, and Hosanna to the son of David. They were filled with rage, it says in Matthew 21, when they were praising the Lord like this and praising Yeshua. And Jesus responded to them, do you hear what these children are saying? And they said, we want you to stop these children from praising him. But Jesus' response was, yes, but have you never read that from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? That happened the first day that he entered in. Day two, Jesus' popularity had probably reached its peak until he entered in Jerusalem this time. What happened on this day? Several things, but I want to point out just a few. This, he came and he cleansed the temple. He went to the temple and he found them selling, uh, selling doves and selling the offerings and exchanging them. And what was wrong with that is the people were making money off the people, charging extravagant prices for them to purchase an offering that was suitable to offer as a Passover offering. Jesus said he came in, he turned the money tables over. He took, it says he platted the whip together. He drove them out. What was wrong with what they were doing? Jesus said, you're making my father's house a house of merchandise, and it's supposed to be a house of prayer and worship and sacrifice. He was popular until he did that. Uh, you can tell that Jesus was not concerned about being the most popular guy in town. He was concerned with truth. 
And the chief priests and the teachers of the law, when they heard about him cleansing the temple, they began immediately to plot a way to kill him. He upset their religious systems. He upset their money-making schemes. He upset their plans to deceive the people and make, uh, you know, profit off of man's way and God's worship and the worship of the Lord. And Jesus said, you're not going to do that. And then the Greeks, there were some Greeks that they came, they were seeking the Lord, they were seeking Jesus. And it seems that Jesus kind of just ignored their spiritual quest, and he replied to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. He was talking about himself. But when that kernel falls into the ground and dies, it produces many seeds. That's you and I sitting here today. We're the seed, we're the fruit of Jesus offering himself as a sacrifice. Anyone who loves their life, Jesus said, will lose it. He's talking about himself right there. He said, I can't save my life or love my life. He said, I'm going to give my life. Anyone who loves his life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus goes on to say, whoever serves me, him must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be, for my Father will honor the one who serves me. John 12. It seems that as a validation for Jesus' purpose, which he just stated of coming into the world, that it says a voice spoke from heaven, and it says, I have glorified your name, and I will glorify it again today. Do you realize you fulfill that prophecy today in glorifying the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and Yeshua? Every time we praise his name, you fulfill that prophecy. The Father says, I'm going to glorify you, and I'll glorify you again. Then day three came up. Day three in the Passover week, Jesus is again confronted by the religious leaders. They couldn't stand him because he was a truth teller, and he upset their whole system of fleecing the people and deceiving the people. In an analogy to, to try to reject him, uh, and to, of those who did reject him, Jesus then, on this day, he, he, when they go by and they're going back into town, he sees a fig tree, and it says he walks over to the fig tree because he was hungry, thinking that he could get a fig from it, and there were no figs. What did Jesus do? We, we read that Jesus cursed the fig tree because it was bearing no figs. And by the next day, it had withered. And the disciples were amazed. said, Master, did you see the, the tree? It's already withered. Jesus was giving them a parable. I, I can't get away from this concept in the last two or three months. Jesus, on that day, was looking for fruit from that tree. God the Father was looking for fruit from the nation of Israel. Fruit that would bring glory to God and magnify the Lord. But what he found when he came to the temple, the house of God, was corruption, was deception. Was people that were just trying to make money off other people in the name of God, in the name of religion. God's looking for fruit that will bring glory to his name. Listen, you are a creation of God. God is looking for fruit in your life. It's not the cars you have. It's not the house you have. It's not how many shoes, pairs of shoes you have. It's none of that. It's not how much you have in the bank or stored up for your, for your retirement. God is looking for spiritual fruit from your life as his creation. He is searching the Spirit of God is searching today, looking at every one of us, looking and examining the fruit out of our life to see what are you producing for the glory and for the kingdom of God. He, he's not only a fruit inspector. He's looking for fruit to come out of your life. And when he didn't find it, he cursed that fig tree. In a sense, the Israelites were realizing that he's not happy with us, to put it bluntly. And then Jesus told another parable. This is all in that next day. Jesus told a parable about two sons in Matthew 21. It was about a father that owned a vineyard, and he had two sons. And he told one first son, he said, I want you to go work in my vineyard today. And the son said, no, I'm not doing it, and he left. And he told the other son, he said, I want you to work in my vineyard today. And the son said, I'll do it, and I'll go. But the first son that he told said, no, I won't do it, and left, came back and worked in the vineyard and ended up obeying the Lord. The second son that said, yes, I'll go, never did go. And Jesus was speaking this, and they got the message, those religious leaders, they got the message that he was talking about their rejection of him as a vineyard owner doing the kingdom work. The first said he wouldn't go, but then changed his mind and obeyed the father. The second son that he said he would go, but never did. Jesus is drawing a parallel. 
Even though the first one said, I won't go, but changed his mind and went, he was blessed by the Father. The second son that said, oh, yeah, I'll go do the will of God, never went. There's a lot of people that says, one day I'm going to serve God. One day I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus, but they never get around to doing that. Those are the ones Jesus said, you will be separated from my Father. The ones that may live a, a crazy wild life, but yet turn to him and finally surrender, they're going to be accepted by the Lord. The Lord will not turn people away that turn to him. Thank the Lord. All of this happened in that week. Then Jesus quoted Psalm 118, 22 through 23. He told them, have you never read in the scriptures that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? All of this he was talking about himself. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. He's speaking to those people then. He's speaking to it today, to us today. The kingdom will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Wow. In the last days of Yeshua's life on earth, he was speaking the heart of God the Father. I'm looking for fruit for the kingdom. He's not talking about apples, oranges, figs, and pears. He said, I'm looking for fruit for those that will surrender their life to me and give praise to me and bring glory to the Lord. Jesus goes on to say, anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone on whom the stone falls will be crushed. He was speaking about his life and the truth that he was speaking. There's no doubt that they had read these scriptures, those religious leaders, but their hearts were so hardened by jealousy over Jesus and concern that people would choose to follow him rather than them and their religious form. The parable of the wedding banquet clearly angered them because they understood that Jesus was saying that they would not be welcome in the kingdom of God and they would be left out, Matthew 22. But today, what God has in his heart, this is a picture of a wedding. You all, all of us are invited to the wedding of the great king. He's got a son. His name is Jesus Yeshua. And he's looking for a bride for Jesus Yeshua. He's looking for you and I of planet earth, the creation of God, to make up that bride. You have an invitation to a wedding. You have an invitation to become a bride. It's up to you whether you accept it or not. The next day, it says Jesus came to Bethany. I just ministered on this last week. And Jesus was residing or staying at the home of Simon the leper. And a woman came to him with an alabaster jar box, very, a very expensive perfume, in which she poured on Jesus' head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples, in particular Judas Iscariot, saw this, they became indignant or mad or angry at the action of this lady pouring the perfume on Jesus. Why? Because it was making a mess? No. Because he said, well, why was this perfume not sold at a high price and the money given to the poor? Where he really had no heart or interest in the poor. He wanted to just get the money in the money bag because he took from the money bag. Jesus even said that about Judas. Then aware of this confrontation, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Jesus knew what his focus was. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be sacrificed as the Lamb of God. The symbolism here is that Jesus was being anointed for his coming death. He had been telling these disciples, it's coming. I'm going to be delivered over to the hand of the Gentiles by my people, the Jews. And I'm, they're going to kill me. They're going to arrest me. They're going to beat me. They're going to spit upon me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to offer me and they're going to kill me. But he always said, but the third day, I'll rise from the grave the third day. And he was telling them that the custom was when they were buried that they, were, they would be anointed, and that was to be done prior to their death and a, a, afterwards as well. Then the next day that of, of being there in Jerusalem, Jesus arranged for preparations for the Passover. That's what we talked about last week, Palm Sunday. Ahead of time, Jesus made these arrangements, and he reminded the uh, disciples at Passover about the importance of this particular Passover. It was the last one. It was the Seder dinner like we spent last night with Zion's sake. It was a picture of that. 
And he told those disciples, it is it's just before the Passover festival and unleavened bread. Jesus, knowing that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go back to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, John 13. And so when the hour came, Jesus and his disciples, they reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I die. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And then in John 13, we see that Jesus got up. Those were disciples that were there that night with hard hearts and stinky feet. Nobody had washed anybody's feet as, as was the custom was. Jesus got up from the meal. He took out, off his outer clothing. He wrapped himself in the servant's towel and around his waist, and he began to pour water in the basin. And he began to wash, wash each one of the disciples' feet and dry them. Jesus himself washed them to remind them of their role in the church of being a servant as he set the example for us to follow. About midnight that very night, which is entering into that inspection time, all this week, Jesus was confronted by the religious people. They were asking him questions. When you read either the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you see it. All this week, they were coming to him, asking him questions, trick questions, questions trying to deceive him, questions trying to get him to say something that would incriminate himself and be worthy of, of death and arresting him and, and, and crucifying him. And they, they, they were examining him. They were inspecting him, the lamb, as Israel inspected that lamb to see if it was perfect. It was without fault. One, one gospel, one, one incident says that they kept asking him hard questions. He kept answering them according to the scriptures. It says they ceased asking him from that point. No man dared ask him anything because they couldn't find any fault in him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Nobody could find any fault in this Lamb of God because he was perfect. The trial when he was arrested, he was illegally tried. Matthew 26 says a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people came to arrest him in that garden. He said, why do you come after me like I'm a criminal? Was I not with you during the day teaching and preaching in the temple? So they come after him like he's a criminal. The trial was illegal because they found many false uh, testimonies and conflicting witnesses who told lies as trying to be evidence against him. The trials weren't supposed to be, they were illegal because they weren't supposed to be at night. And not even all of the council was there. They, they kind of got who they could get together just to kind of hurry up and try to get this thing through. They falsely charged him with blasphemy at the darkest hour where we find even Peter denied him and cursed in order to remove all doubt that he was one of his disciples. He was denied by his disciples, betrayed by, by Peter, falsely accused by his whole nation, lied about in the testimony, tried illegally at night, and then abandoned by even some of the same people or most of the same people that earlier in the week had cried, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. He is sentenced to death, and on the next day, Jesus dies about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. The interesting fact about that. That is the exact same hour in which that physical, literal lamb, his throat was slit by the high priest, and he was offered as a sacrifice unto God for the sins of Israel. God doesn't miss a detail. While Jesus hung on the cross in one of the most incredible acts of forgiveness ever recorded, Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them, for they do not understand what they're doing. While he hung on that cross in utter agony, he was mocked, ridiculed, scorned by everyone. Everyone had turned against him. Even those that at one time loved him and were near him separated themselves or distanced themselves from him. It was despite the fact that the law said a person could be either beaten or crucified, but not both. But he endured both in order to fulfill both Jewish and Roman law against that. He was illegally tried, convicted, punished, and sentenced. And then we know that Jesus was taken down and laid in a borrowed tomb. Had to be a borrowed tomb, a new tomb that no death had ever been in before. And then in that tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, where Jesus' body laid for three days, just before dawn on Sunday, the stone had already been rolled away and the tomb was found empty. He had risen. 
and one of the greatest historical events of all human history, Jesus had risen from the dead. Since he was sinless, death could not and cannot hold him. The resurrection is the most prominent part of the gospel message of Christianity that there is today. But God, from Acts 2, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Hallelujah. Impossible. This is why we as Christian believers and followers of Christ, it's why we worship him on Sunday, the first day of the week, the day of resurrection. The stone was rolled away, not so that Jesus could get out, but so those that, who served him as his followers could get in and see the tomb was empty. The world will never be the same again. He is risen, and since he's risen, we too will rise from the grave. <laughs> Hallelujah. This morning, I have to say this. My heart is so sensitive and tender towards you that have lost a loved one, a spouse, a child, a relative, a friend. There is a resurrection. It is not the end, and it is not over. There is a temporary separation from you and that loved one. But the day is coming written in God's word when the trumpet will sound, where the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive on earth and remain will be caught up together with them, and so we shall meet the Lord with them in the air, and we shall go be with him forever. There is good news on Resurrection Sunday. Your, your loved one that you've lost, that you're separated from, it is not over. It is not the end. You will see them again. If they've served the Lord and they've lived a, a godly life, you will see them again. I pray for you today because I know your heart, and actually today is an anniversary of, for some of them, that your heart hurts today. Your heart has an empty, and I can't help it as a pastor. I'm aware of that. I'm sensitive to that, and I've been praying. God, minister to those that have that sense of emptiness and loneliness in their heart today because their spouse or a loved one, somebody who's precious and valuable in their life, they're no longer here that they can touch and see and smell and have words with and fellowship with. I promise you, upon the promises of God's word, you will see them again. You will be with them through eternity, that this is but a temporary separation. And I pray God strengthen you. I pray the Holy Spirit comfort you. I pray the Holy Spirit put the fire of God in you to help you to finish your race and run your course with everything in you that, that you will honor God and please God, that you'll be everything that God wants you to be and not listen to the lies of the devil that tell you you can't make it. This congregation loves you. I love you. Sylvia loves you. As pastors here, people that know you, we love you. We are here for you. You are going to make it. With victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I had to share that and say that that way this morning. Thank the Lord he became sin for you and I. Every one of us sitting here today. Every one of us sitting here today. Jesus, Yeshua, became sin in our place. Because God so loved us. He didn't want us to be separated from him. Now or through eternity. And it's my prayer as Pastor Larry comes, it's my prayer that today that either you'll come to Jesus to know him maybe for the first time. Maybe you've never surrendered your heart. Maybe you've never invited him into your life. Maybe you've just kind of chatted with the Lord and, and you really don't know him personally. I want to tell him. I want to tell you today. You don't just need to, to know about him. You can know him personally. You can have a personal relationship with him. If you don't have that today... The Lord wants you to have that today. Today would be a beautiful, wonderful day. Resurrection Sunday, any day would be good. But this would be a day like the days you've never, ever had in your life to come to know Christ. Or today, some of you, you may be away from the Lord. You may need to return to him as your first love. Today is a good day for that. He loves you. God's not mad at you. He so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. He's not changed his mind. 
He, he did it right the first time. He doesn't have to change his mind. And then there's some of us today that you're, you're living for the Lord. You're faithful. This is our day to celebrate. He is alive forevermore. And because he is, you and I are alive. And we have victory. No matter what your struggle is today, no matter what your challenge of your life is today, you have victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can rejoice in him and celebrate in him today. And as we celebrate his life today, we're going to participate in, in the Lord's Supper communion. And our elements are different today. I thank the Lord, Gene, for you and the team that came together we're in, in the buckets that are on the right end of each aisle in the white bucket and celebrate it in a good way. There's nothing wrong with that little white round thing we've been doing. It's the heart and the spirit with which you celebrate. Listen, if you've got water and a, and a saltine cracker, Amen. a rich cracker at home, it's your heart that determines how you celebrate this because you're not celebrating a, a, a holiday or you're not celebrating just a religious rite. We are celebrating not only the death but the life of Jesus Christ Yeshua who loves us today. Uh, as we enter into this week of unleavened bread, for Israel, for the Jewish people, they don't eat rolls, they don't eat white bread, they don't eat whole wheat bread the rest of the week until Friday p.m., they, this, is, this is the bread that they consume. Why? It's the bread of affliction. It's the bread that they ate when they left out of Egypt. It's the bread that reminded them, and we'll go through it. I'll tell you about it in a minute. That's what the whole sheet looks like. It's about a four-by-four four piece. We've broken it up into a bite-sized piece for you. What that symbolized to Israel back then and what it means for us today is this. It's flat. There's no leaven. There's no yeast in it. Leaven and yeast are equivalent to sin, as the Scripture said. The Israelites were to cleanse their house of all leaven, all yeast, during this week, before it and during this week. They were not to eat any bread with leaven or yeast in it because it represented sin. And what this, why this matzah is important, because it represents, Jesus said, when you take this bread, you're taking my body. Now, we don't believe this is the literal body of Jesus. Some particular religious persuasions believe that, and I realize some of you here today come from that background. That's, that's not what we celebrate today. It is a symbol that is like his body. Jesus said, this is my body. What did he mean when he said that? He said, there's no sin in me. There is no sin in Jesus. Never has been, won't be. So there's no leaven in this bread. It represents his body, no sin. Secondly, it had holes or piercings in it. Look at the bread that you hold in your hand. It has the piercings in it. For most people, this thing's, oh, this just helps it to bake quicker, cook, quick, cook quicker. No. The piercings represent that he was pierced and nailed to the cross in our place as a lamb. And every time you look at this bread, you see the gospel message. And every time you hold that cup in your hand, you're reminded of the blood. And then you see the brown stripes. These are the, the roasting stripes that are on the matzah. They're, they're, it's baked. It's roasted. And what that means is Jesus went through the fires of affliction, the roasting of judgment. Jesus was judged as a sinner on your behalf so that you could become righteous in the eyes of God. The matzah itself tells the gospel. He went through judgment and the fires for us. That is only a human portrayal of the price Jesus Yeshua paid for every one of us. It could in no way replicate or duplicate what he really went through because that man didn't actually die. But it said Jesus was beaten beyond human recognition. They couldn't even recognize him as a human being anymore. Every one of us in this room, every one of us watching live streaming, for those that are believers already now, you can thank and celebrate him. But if you're here this morning and you've never surrendered to your life, to the one that loves you so much that he gave his for you. He wants to give you an opportunity today. And perhaps some of you are 
the term is backslidden or not following him as close as you should and your fellowship with him you know is not what it should be. I don't typically do this, but I want us to bow our heads this morning. And if that's you that said, Pastor Russell, I've never invited Jesus into my heart and really accepted what he did for me on the cross to save me and to cleanse me from my sin. I want to ask you today to raise your hand, that God can see your hand. I'm not tricking you. I'm not playing a game with you. I sincerely want to pray for you and lead you. If that's you this morning, say, I've never invited Jesus into my heart, and I want to. I need you. Just lift your hand up. Just lift your hand up. Lord sees. Lord knows. That's what's important today. And I'm going to go one step further to be so bold. Because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of him in this present evil and sinful and adulterous generation, if you're ashamed of him here now, he would be ashamed to confess you before the Father and the angels in heaven. And if you're here this morning and you've, you're not walking as close to him as you should, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, I need to come closer to the Lord. I need to come home. I need to come home. I know God loves me. I know Jesus gave his life for me. But I need to walk closer to him. I need to surrender. And I want to encourage you. You're intelligent people. You see the signs of the times. You see the news. You see the chaos. You see what's going on in the world today. Literally, time is running out. We hope the next politician will lead us into a glorious revelation. I want to tell you what, as hard as they try, according to the scriptures, it's not going to happen. Only the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, can bring peace on this earth. Only he can bring peace into your heart, into your life, right now, here today. And that's what he wants to do. And I'm going to pray a prayer and just invite all of us to pray the prayer and then we're going to move on into communion because see if your heart's not right with him you don't need to take communion because communion is saying that I have a covenant with him and, and if your heart's not right you don't have a covenant with him you need to make peace with him and he wants to give you that chance so we're going to pray a prayer and give you an opportunity to pray it this morning and we're not trying to embarrass you or single you out and when we have our prayer teams come down to the altar in just a moment, I want to encourage you to that raise your hands that you need to invite him into your heart for the first time or you need to come home to him or you need a closer walk with him. I want to invite you to come and let them pray for you. Don't, don't just escape or run away. This is the most important moment in your life. Go pray this prayer. Father God, I know I am a sinner. And I know that my life has not pleased you. I believe in Jesus. Today I transfer my trust in what I've tried to do, in what I've tried to be. Father, I place my trust and what your son did for me on the cross. He died as a lamb in my place. I accept what he did for me. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, my offenses against you, my sins against others. I invite you come into my heart apply the blood of Jesus make me clean I receive forgiveness I forgive myself and I forgive others of their sins against me Father thank you for sending Jesus the Lamb of God to die in my place. 
And now I rejoice that I am saved. I'm forgiven. The shame and the guilt, they are gone. And I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. We celebrate. We celebrate. Now, in just a moment, we're going to have our prayer teams come down, and, and I want you to come and pray with them and let them just affirm in your heart what you've done. You need to do that publicly. It's not a secret thing, but it's public. I want you to take, Sylvia, I want you to come and join me, please. Take the matzah in your hand. I hold before you a whole sheet. And on that night, Jesus would break that bread with his disciples. And I can't go into, I don't have time to go into the whole thing about the afikamen and the, the hiding away. But he would, take, he would take a third of that matzah and break it. And they would put it and they would hide it away. And what that basically represented was they would come back to that bread and eat of it later. And the beauty and the truth of that is there's coming a day Jesus is coming back. And we're going to partake of the bread of life throughout eternity. Amen. 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 So take your matzah today. And as you hold it, as you examine it, I think you'll agree with me. We can't find any fault in Yeshua. Amen. And we look at it and we see its roastings, its piercings, and its no leaven, no sin. And as Father, we take this. You said as often as we do this to do it in remembrance of you. We remember who you are. We remember what you did on that night and the following day. You became the lamb that gave your life. And we receive the life that you gave for us so that we can have eternal life now and after we pass off this earth's existence. Thank you, Lord. We celebrate you as we take this bread. We, in taking this, say that we make a covenant with you to become your bride, your people. That we will keep ourselves as your bride, as we are betrothed to you, as a bride is engaged to her husband towards the wedding day. That we pledge to you purity, commitment, consecration, Lord. That by your help of the Holy Spirit, we are going to live for you and bring glory to you until you come and take us, Lord, to be with you forever. Take us to that great marriage supper of the Lamb. We look forward to that, Lord, in you. We receive this bread this morning in the name of Jesus, Yeshua. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you that you willingly shed your blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Thank you, Jesus. And no goat, no lamb could take the place of the spotless Lamb of God. You gave yourself so that we could be free. Yes. Today, we honor your blood that forgives us, that heals us, that gives us peace. Yes. And we say today, we do this in remembrance of you. We take the cup of freedom, the cup of redemption, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to ask our prayer teams to come. And if that was you, there is no shame, there is no embarrassment. This ministry, this congregation, we just want a chance to love you, disciple you, and help you to understand how much God loves you. So please don't be embarrassed or ashamed. We do this all the time. Have prayer. This is an altar call. This is an altar is a place where you come to meet the Lord. You can pray anywhere. But this is a place where we make a public declaration and dedication. Lord, I surrender to you. I give it to you. Maybe today you've got a burden. You've got a care. You've got a sickness. You've got a physical ailment. You need prayer for it. They're here to pray for that too. So this morning, this altar is open as Pastor Larry leads us in something. It, whether you're in the balcony or wherever you are and you raise your hand or you need prayer, please come in the name of the Lord.